Yeah, thank you so much. Came in the cool of August. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I understand it was the, I think that week that we moved in broke the record for like the hottest day ever. So if we survive that, we're with you. We're together. And, uh, you know, we're loving it here. We really are. It's been, it's been a joy. Spent a lot of years in California, some uh, original years up in Idaho, southeast Idaho in the Rockies, and then uh, four years in uh, the, I shouldn't say it, but I'll say it, the armpit of America, Finley, Ohio, and uh, <laughs> tough area. And then we ended up uh, in, um, at Regent University in Virginia Beach for about the last six years. So we're really glad to be back in the West. Much of our family is in um, California and Idaho, and many are in their twilight. Um, so it's good to be here, and hopefully uh, the Lord will bless and it's great to be here with you at the church. Lynn and I have attended a couple of times since we just moved out. As I was saying to her, we have the opposite problem as we had in, uh, in uh, Virginia. There were no covenant churches within four hours of us. We had to drive up to Washington, D.C. from Virginia Beach to stay connected on occasion. Uh, and out here, there's six. It's such a difficult thing uh, to choose between because uh, we live on the, the west side. And we just uh, found we really are falling in love with you guys in this place. So who knows, as the, Lord, as the Lord provides. Well, it is Valentine's Day, and of course I'm missing my Valentine, but she's doing the good business out there. And I might get a call any moment, so I am taking out my phone. Uh, literally, Chelsea is due within 36 hours, and she keeps telling me that I am way overdue. The baking has to end soon. And so we're just, we're just happy about that and appreciate uh, the opportunity to be able to have my wife out there for now. And she loved it here a couple of weeks ago when we came, so you might see us more. Would, would you pray with us? Holy God, thank you so much for this uh, privilege today to be together, to rejoice together in your resurrected Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray for wisdom today as we begin to think through and understand things that maybe we've understood before, or maybe haven't thought through so much. You know, you've called us to love you with all of our minds as well as the rest of us. So we pray that as we think deeply today, you would meet us there and minister to us and uh, help us to remind ourselves as we leave today that you are an awesome God that gives us this phenomenal drama to be a part of. And we uh, bless you in that. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you know, before I came today, I, I watched uh, a preview of a new film coming out. Have you seen the preview for Risen yet? Does that look crazy? Does it look good? Wow. It sort of reminds me of another film I'll mention in just a minute. But it's about this person uh, in the film named uh, Clavius. Clavius is a Roman military leader tasked by the Romans to find out more about how to explain the resurrection, what happened there. Of course, they didn't believe the resurrection happened. So Clavius's job is to go prove something else. Something else must have happened. You know, they stole the body or what have you of Jesus. So this looks like a great film. It's actually the follow-up to uh, The Passion of the Christ, sort of, you know, from years ago. And uh, I just find it really intriguing to look at it from um, this, the eyes of this person who is seeking to know what's really true, although he's not really seeking the Lord. Uh, we'll see what happens. And it reminded me of an older movie, Sir Anthony Quinn, years ago uh, in a film called Barabbas. Did anybody see that one? 
Yeah, that was so cool. I try to show that to my students today. They're like, that's old. I said, wait a minute. That's a, that's a great movie. It's one of the greatest actors of all time. That's old. But uh, it's similar, right? It's Barabbas who gets released instead of Jesus as the prisoner of the year uh, could be released, you know, to the people. And so he, Jesus takes his place, literally, and ours. And uh, Barabbas struggles with, what do I do? With this, I keep seeing visions of Jesus, and oh. and so in the end, I won't give you, I won't give you the spoiler, but in the end, his life is transformed. So we'll see what happens to Clavius as well. Well, you know what this is all about, though, as we're thinking about these things. Um, this is all about a story, a drama. You guys like drama? Well, certain kinds, right? You don't like drama, but you like drama, and. Uh, <laughs> My favorite, my wife's favorite drama is Law and Order. You know, she just loves that. She comes from that kind of a background. So when they have those, like, uh, constant presentations, what you call that, just one after another, she usually says, honey, I'll be in about 3 a.m. Because <laughs> she's going to watch them. Well, we love drama, and there's reasons for that, because it's a story, and we love a story. Do you know what the Bible is? The story. Yeah. It's not just principles, which it is. It's not just rules, which it has. It's not just commandments, which are there. It's a story. A story, God's story. It is a drama. It is a story with a true story with a plot and with an antagonist and of course our protagonist. But the reason I say it like that, I feel like something's missing oftentimes in the Christian community in terms of a whole approach to things, a holistic view, a, a real wide framework for life. And one of the things that's often missing is the big picture of the story of God. And so today we're going to spend some time on that and look at this idea of what J.R.R. Tolkien, author of what? Lord of the Rings, called the one true myth. What does he mean by that? He meant myth not in sense of false, but story. And, of course, he wrote about that, Lord of the Rings, in some kind of ways, and C.S. Lewis affirmed the same thing. So the one true story is the scriptural story. And so from that, we're going to focus today on entering God's drama. You saw the cover of the bulletin. The idea is that we're going to enter into this story and go along with it and see where it leads us. Some are in the story, some are not there yet. So the story has four acts, no intermission. Uh, do you want an intermission halfway through? Sorry, you'll just have to take your own time because <laughs> we're not stopping. We're moving through because we've got four acts to cover. And each of those have particularities that are connected and things going on within those stories. Uh, even though they're not self-contained, they do follow one from another. Act one, no further ado, let's get into act one. Rather Shakespearean in one sense is that, wow, things are just immense and radically going on at this first act called what? What do you think it might be? The very beginning is known as creation. Good job. Right? Of course, the, like my students love that. If I put the answer up, you know, a GCU, they just go, oh, thanks, Dr. Sherman. Tell us all the answers. Uh, no. <laughs> but act one is that very beginning. It's the creation act itself. Here we read in Genesis 1, 1, the beginning of this. Can you say it with me? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, just those words themselves, think about it. 
in the, in the uh, Hebrew, the word the, the definite article is not there. So what it has to do with is in beginning, in starting things up, right, toward us, God, period, almost, created the heavens and the earth. So it's the idea that this is the, the starting point for everything that has to do with us. It's not like God wasn't already active, Father, Son, and Spirit relationally, but now it's our turn to get involved, and he invites us into his own story. And once someone accepts or believes or trusts or becomes part of the drama of, those of that very first verse, life is totally different. Think about it. When you and I attest that in the beginning God created heavens and the earth, let me ask you a question. What then can God not do from that point on? That sort of ends the dialogue about whether God could do A, B, or C, right? Of course. How many, how many uh, angels can dance on the... All those questions that go back, they're irrelevant because, of course, God can do anything. It's going to be according to his character of goodness and love, not something evil. But this begins and ends right there in one sense. This is why Thomas Jefferson is, to me, a paradoxical person. Major effect, you know, president of the United States. But Thomas Jefferson uh, decided that he was going to follow an ethical Jesus and not a supernatural one. Not one that would be involved in miracles. He didn't raise from the dead. He didn't say these things and do these things. Because that was embarrassing. It was the Enlightenment period. Rationalism had taken over. If we can't prove it or feel it in our minds or test it through a tube or something like that, we just can't believe it. We don't see these things happening. And so Jefferson was embarrassed by the supernaturalism of Christianity. And so he literally cut uh, all the passages out of the New Testament that had anything to do with miraculous works. So how much do you think was left of the New Testament after that was done? <laughs> His Bible is very small, easy to read in a couple hours. And it's called the Jeffersonian Bible. I have a little copy of it. You can get it. And basically what he said is, uh, we just need to dispense with anything that's not just ethically focused. I want to follow the ethical Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sorry, Thomas, you can't have one without the other. Uh, otherwise, as C.S. Lewis, Lewis points out, you're not given that option. Either he's a false prophet, lied, didn't do these things, or he really was and is who he said he was. There's no chance for that. Once you accept what? Uh, Genesis 1.1, from that point on, uh, you're open. It's an open universe. God can do all things, including raised from the dead. That's not a difficult thing. Uh, it might be for us in the way we think about things, though. Also, at this point, not only is heaven and earth created and the animals and the plants, but man and woman. And uh, perhaps up here you can see the garden, that aspect there. What's going on in the garden? Well, this is God's desire to bring into his story others that can be part of the story right, and enjoy what God has done and created. And so Adam and Eve, you know, the first humans in the garden, uh, are given this great opportunity. And the garden is a place without something that we have today. What would that be? I hear it. Sin, those doggone weeds. <laughs> As I was coming out today, you know, I was leaving the house, I looked over and I saw this one that it grew like a tree within the last couple of weeks. I'm like, is that how things go here? <laughs> I'm going to be busy. And and I thought, just imagine a place where you have a garden and you never have to worry about the weeds. Pretty cool, right? The animals get along, cats and dogs are not fighting. Pretty cool. And part of the reasoning there is because this was when there was deep level relationship. 
with God and with the people and with people with each other. Remember, Adam and Eve were absolutely cool with their nudist colony. There was no problem there because they didn't have a sense of sin. You know, they were just looking at each other and loving each other. And things changed dramatically in a minute. But the reality is there's something special about human beings that God creates. Whatever view we hold of how we got here, the reality is we share something that no other beings have. And that is what? Third on the list. The Amago Dei, which is the image of God. There's something unique that human beings have that no other creatures have. Well, one example would be, did you bring your animal here this morning to worship? Uh, why aren't they here? Why aren't they sitting next to you going, oh, Lord, I glorify Well, they don't have that same capacity. They may have a level of soul. That's questionable. That's debatable. But the question is, are they the same as human beings? Not from God's vantage point. We are given the pinnacle of creation ability and something, with, uh, something that we have that they don't have. That's a special gift, isn't it? One, there's a lot of debate about exactly what the image of God is. There's quite a bit of debate about that. It ranges from the idea of intellect to uh, spirit. And one of the most um, prolific views, especially in Christian scholarship, those in the Old Testament area, is that it has to do with being stewards over the creation or responsible, responsibility. Like God creates and says, now you go and be also what? creating or designing or developing or taking care of, having dominion means having stewardship, love for the creation, care for it, and also guidance of it. So the idea is that, you know, that's possibly it too. It could be a combination of those things. Whatever it is, it's something that only human beings have. And so it's a very special gift. This image is also found in the book of Colossians. Let me read this uh, to you here. In Colossians chapter 1, um, verses 16 and 17, it tells us, For by him, and it's speaking about Jesus, all things were created by Jesus Christ. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, he is holding these things together. So even before Christ comes to the earth and is born, he's already the word from eternity in heaven as creator. It's interesting, though, that I bring this up because there's something else in the text as we continue to follow along in Colossians. It says that he is the exact representation of God, a mirror image. This is what led Karl Barth, theologian, 20th century, one of the best ever, to say, how do we know God? We look at Jesus. Don't, don't go anywhere else because if he's truly the exact representation of what God is in terms of character, in terms of his abilities, his powers, etc., his love for humanity, then that's where we need to go first. Christ gives us the picture because he's the incarnate one. He is the one from eternity. So this Imago Dei is not something that we have only or that we have been blessed with, but it's maximized, totally maximized in Jesus Christ, his divinity and his humanity combined, where we only have the latter. So it's a special blessing and a special gift to have and we carry it in ourselves. The question is, is it still intact or has it been distorted a bit? Let's talk about what happens in Act 2 because we move from the good news to the what? Bad news, Act 2. we got to have the bad news. makes a good drama. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't intended by God, but it happened. And Act 2 is known as, there it is, the fall. Right? This is where things go a little bit astray or a lot astray. 
And most of us understand the scriptures make this uh, very clear that there's a problem in this particular point. First off, the temptation comes, and then the choice, and then the repercussions. Who's the tempter in this? We read the serpent is involved in that. Um, this is perhaps best understood as demonic, demonic influence, uh, Satan himself perhaps. And what we have within that context is he's telling a story too. Do you ever think of it like that? You've got God's narrative and story, and then you get this other story. Well, God didn't really say that, did he? Listen, let me tell you a different story. Here's how things really are. If you eat that, all this good stuff's going to happen. Isn't that interesting? We still have that today, don't we? Do you have other narratives that speak into your life, other stories that come in? It's called it worldviews in collision. We have different views of reality. You know how I see that? Uh, with my granddaughter. She's six, thinks she's 16, and you might have a few of those. And uh, she loves puzzles. Anybody a puzzler? You just like dig on puzzles. Well, you're like, what? Puzzles? Ah, oh, man, I'm into Facebook. Oh, well. Puzzles uh, can be done online, too. But she loves the old-fashioned type. She likes the two and 300 puzzle piece ones. Hard to find because they go from like one to 500. But when we get one, she'll start putting the stuff together. She just loves it. She's done it from the beginning. And it looks beautiful. Well, one time when she was working on one of those puzzles, I got this harebrained idea. I thought, what would happen if I offered her an alternative, right? And I was working on this idea of narratives. And I said, Emma, what about this? Can I give you some pieces from this other puzzle over here and, and take a few of your pieces and use it for my puzzle? What do you think she said? Why would she say no? She says, no, Poppy. I said, what's wrong with that? She goes, it won't fit. And I thought, wow, out of the mouth of babes, right? Wisdom. Why doesn't it fit? Because it's not intended to be part of that story or puzzle. So when our lives are to be following the drama of Scripture, the narrative that we're to live into, but then we do what? We also follow this one or this one or parts of this one. What happens to our lives? Confusion, disconnection. It happens. And I think every one of us have pieces that come in and want to form our puzzles, deform them. I see it all the time. Just think of it in terms of media or anything else that you encounter in this world today. It's reality that we have these alternative stories, whatever they are, and there are many. Um, so Eve and Adam, they make this choice. They say, you know what, I'm going to follow, <laughs> basically I'm going to follow this other story. This one sounds better. So Eve takes it on, and Adam says, okay, cool, I'll, I'll follow too. The only thing is what? Consequences. Not good. So both of them end up taken to the fruit. And the next thing we know, all of a sudden, they recognize the problems. Naked and ashamed. And one of the things they begin to do is what we begin to do. What do they do? They hide out. Hide out. We're hiders. We hide out because we don't want anybody to know certain things. That's been going on from the garden. It's part of the picture of the fall. So we're part of that narrative can't escape it. We can do something about it, but we can't escape the reality that we've all been hiding to some degree ever since. The consequences are enormous, though. They influence all of humanity for all time. We see it today. This is one act of the biblical drama that you never have to worry about trying to prove, do you? 
just look around. <laughs> I mean, just look inside. I mean, we don't have to really try to, yeah, really believe this. It's in your face, right? It's constantly in our face every day. Uh, we see this in Romans 5, for example, that talks deeply about the kind of situation we're in today, 5, uh, 12 through 14. And I don't know if it's up, but I'll read it. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, it's talking about Adam, and then Eve gets another, uh, in, in another location that talks about Eve, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because through him all sinned. So there's something that we're connected to that is just the way things are forever, sin. And some have uh, worked on this from a DNA perspective, genetic perspective, spirituality perspective, relationship with God perspective. However you cut it, we're connected, right? We're connected in some way with this reality of sin. Some call it original sin and that we're just part of that reality. So that's the bad news. Ready for some good news? You know, when I spend a week of bad news with my students, man, I say, don't get depressed, right? There's good news to come. So we've only got 30 minutes. I'm going to say right now, there's good news. <laughs> don't get down. And the good news, of course, is Act 3, which is, is the answer up? Redemption. There it is, redemption. And, you know, redemption, what that is, you can think of it in terms of like uh, some sort of way of getting something back that's been lost, redeeming something. There's many ways of talking about this act, but most of us as Christians, oftentimes we want to run right to the, to the punchline or to the maximal pinnacle moment and say, it's Jesus, Jesus. And we even sing that way, right? Jesus, the Redeemer. Well, it's true, but we don't get there immediately after the fall, do we? You know how long it is between the fall and the redemption through Christ? centuries centuries it's not happened yet at the fall it takes time this is called progressive revelation where god works with people in their current situation and begins to develop a new way of thinking takes them out like takes abraham out of the situation in a polytheistic culture where they're worshiping many gods brings them out entirely and starts a new nation through abraham but even before that we have a covenant with noah we have covenants with Moses. We have a covenant with Abraham. So Abraham is the primary one. In Genesis 12, he's called out to begin a whole new directive. And Isaiah, um, the prophet, reminds us that Jesus, of course, in his talk about Messiah coming, is going to be, there's going to be a Messiah that is Savior, but God has already been working to redeem from the beginning. So Abraham is called out, and Israel is called to be the primary messengers for God's way, for living out God's drama. And Israel is given, what, the Ten Commandments, not suggestions? And it's for their purposes, and it's to help others look in from these other cultures who are worshiping false gods and to see these people living the faith, living the drama out the right way. How do you think Israel did? Thumbs up, thumbs down pretty much thumbs down, like two thumbs down, you know. Occasionally this way and once in a while like this. But by and large, Israel fails in their witness to the world. Uh, there are some good kings, there are some good judges, but by and large, 
they're not so good. Why? Because they continue with the idolatry and the substitution of other things for God. Make sense? It's unfortunate, but it's what happens. Whenever we have something that rises up as a greater thing in our life, we spend more time, money, energy, and focus on it than God. That's our God. I have a friend, Craig Detweiler, teaches at Pepperdine University. He wrote a book called I Gods. You get the idea? Lowercase I Gods. It's about how our technology culture, many are worshiping Apple products. And not just the fact that they like them, they cannot live without, breathe without them at all. They, there are all sorts of um, uh, places where you can go now. Alcoholics Anonymous, now it's what? Technology Anonymous. It's true. Right? There are many who have fallen into that trap. Whatever it is, whenever something else becomes raised above our time, effort, focus, interest, concerns above God, that's now our new God in effect. So Israel begins to do that. They continue to do that. They're exiled because of it. And finally, God comes to a very clear conclusion. That's not going to work until I come myself. I'm going to have to do this. So this is what we call, again, what? The incarnation, where God himself is sent in the person of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, okay? And Jesus comes and represents perfectly God incarnate. He has one thing for sure that we don't have. What is that? Sinlessness. And one other thing, divinity. So his imago day is perfect, ours is imperfect. He comes and he does exactly what he has to do, which is live it out perfectly and then give it out, his blood on the cross for you and for me, and then raise it up uh, forever to prove and to solidify the veracity and truth of what he had said and done throughout his life on earth. So he confirms it in the resurrection. So he reigns and rules forever now in eternity, and we're going to go and be with him. This resurrection also means what? When he ascends back into heaven, he was with people for 40 days, spoke to them, said, the bottom line for you guys is I am with you forever. I want you to go and tell everybody else to join in this truth. Join in this drama. Join in the Christian faith. And his words were what? Go into all the world and make followers teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'm with you forever. He also sends somebody else who? Holy Spirit, known as the comforter, right? The one who will come alongside and continue to be with us this time. So this is Act 3. This is very, very good news. And this is the center act that we have. And most of us have connected and said, oh, yeah, my, my story is that story whether it was in the beginning of your early life. Mine was 20 when I said, I embrace this story for me. So it's, that was when I was 20, so it's been at least seven or eight years. Stop! <laughs> okay. Uh, so what about Act 4 then? Is it all over? No. The difference between this drama and any film or any book is this act never ends. Act 4 is eternal, if you will. What is that? Is it up there yet? The new creation. This is the renewal. This is not a return to the garden per se. This is a turn to an everlasting city in which God dwells himself and in which we go, <coughs> we go in his presence and remain there forever. 
One thing is gone, though. What do you think that is? Sin and evil and wickedness. You guys are superb. You're excellent students, and you have been taught here very well, obviously. But this is that time where we move into a never-ending garden of sorts, but it's a city this time, where we bring into it that which uh, God has uh, proposed for us. This begins, most people see, at the Perusia. The Perusia is the return of Christ to earth. Certain things happen at that point. One is there's a judgment. The perfect judge, the all-wise God, does exactly what he does, which is perfectly decide um, on people's eternal destiny. has everything to do with whether we trust in the gospel that we have heard or if we have never heard the gospel, in the light and witness we have been given from creation or conscience. Um, the judgment does take place at that point. There's a renewal. Here the Bible talks about what a new heaven and a new earth that comes to us. How we understand that is variously determined by various scholars or interpreted differently. As I see it, a radical renewal, something that's going to happen that will blow our minds, and we will be forever in this new city with God. Uh, so these two acts, if you look at Colossians 2, for example, reminds us of this amazing reality of Christ's work for us. Back to Acts 3 that moves into Acts 4. It says, when you were dead in your sins and uncircumcised in your old nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. He canceled out that debt that was written against us and nailed it to the cross. He even disarmed the powers and authorities who thought they had won, if you will. And then finally in Revelation, the back of the book, we read John saying there was a new heaven and new earth coming. And this is where Christ will dwell, the new Jerusalem. It comes out of heaven. It's prepared like a bride for her husband. What a beautiful picture for Valentine's Day, right? At least today, men, your bride, right? Remember that she is prepared for you as God has blessed that, like beautifully heaven will be prepared for us. The Lord has plans for us. But one of the things is, as we go through this story, we have completed it now, my encouragement is, enter in. If you've already entered in, enjoy that wonderful story. But always remember this, please, that there's only one actor, main actor or actress in the story, right? A good drama, there's one. That is not us. We're character actors. That is God. So let's keep our focus to exalt and lift up the main actor in this story, the protagonist, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, it is you that has provided this one true story, and you've lived and continue to live in it as our main focus. Help us, God, when we get off track. We're a lot like Israel. We get off track. We focus on things that are secondary, tertiary, and call them what we like to do. But may we instead return to the one who has given us true meaning and purpose that we can enjoy this drama with you and be thankful and grateful. We exalt your name today as our main actor in all reality, our Savior and Lord. Amen.